So the thing that Suzuki Roshi talks about is big mind. Big mind can hold all of the input and see the, the workings of the mind, but not get caught in any part of it. And that is a big studying the um, consciousnesses and uh, studying the, the, the mind consciousness and the way the mind works is a separate study that we can't do tonight, but I can refer you to some, some uh, other, other places for that. So, um, yes, Susan. up for me is you know this idea that nothing outside yourself can cause any trouble means that it really allows for um, response as opposed to reactivity that that's where response comes from is a clear mind so if, even if you're in a situation where there's a lot of trouble or, or chaos or whatever if you're able to um, to embody that idea that he's presenting, then it allows for response. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because you're not you're not you're not reacting reacting to the input. You're observing the input. You're being with the input, so you can have a better understanding of that of those circumstances and respond rather than react. Because our usual, it seems like our usual way of thinking about this word he said, trouble, is that trouble comes from the outside. Right. And so he's it's very it, revolutionary. It is very revolutionary. And also, you know, he's talking here about Zazen. So I think that that one of the things I was going to, um, I wanted to bring up was this idea of, well, does that mean that there's really no trouble outside? I think he's really talking about in Zazen, when we're doing Zazen, um, the trouble comes from ourselves, not from outside. That doesn't mean you can't get hit by a car or, that you, or there, there aren't things that happen outside of you in the phenomenal world. But in the world of our sitting practice, that's in, in the realm of big mind, and, and our abiding in big mind, that's, that's where the trouble, that's where we, uh, we work on, uh, on not reacting, but allowing the input and allowing it to be, and perceiving it not as something, uh, something that, that's gonna be harmful to us. So the, I also wanted to read the, um, the capping verse for the um, from the um, uh, colon. Uh, this this went off somehow. Did it? Is it still? Is it on? It might be the battery. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. So, um, David, you were talking about uh, on thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, something that came to my mind is what uh, Sojin talked about in one of his uh, classes or lectures is to think the thought of Zazen. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he explained that by 
the thought of zazen is the thought of focus putting your mind on the breath mm -hmm. putting your mind on the posture um, so i thought that was very helpful mm -hmm. uh, well whether you know he had so sojin had his his kind of tips that he gave us um it it is is kind of saying stay in your body stay in your mind stay in yourself don't don't go run off stay when when something happens don't let it take you away from your abiding mind so maintain your composure don't lose your composure by by reactivity so um i just wanted to add i like the poetry of uh, of adding these verses when the dharma wheel turns it always goes in both directions the still point is is its hub from here all of our myriad activities emerge rather than give solace to the body give solace to the mind when both body and mind are at peace all things appear as they are perfect complete and lacking nothing so suzuki roshi goes on if your mind is related to something outside itself that mind is a small mind a limited mind if your mind is not related to anything else then there is no dualistic understanding in the activity of your mind you understand activity is just waves of your mind big mind experiences everything within itself do you understand the difference between the two minds the mind which includes everything and the mind which is related to something actually they are the same thing but the understanding is different and your attitude towards your life will be different according to which understanding you have that everything is included with your in your within your mind is the essence of mind to experience this is to have a religious feeling even though waves arise, the essence of your mind is pure. It is just like clear water with a few waves. Actually, water always has waves. Waves are the practice of water. To speak of water apart from water or water apart from waves is delusion. Water and waves are one. Big mind and small mind are one. When you understand your mind in this way, you have some security in your feeling. As your mind does not expect anything from outside, it is always filled. A mind with waves in it is not a disturbed mind, but actually an amplified one. Whatever you experience is an expression of big mind. So I like to think of this, these waves in the ocean, and, and Sojin talked about this as well that the, you know, the ocean is always calm, way down deep in the ocean. It's very calm, it's always calm, but it's holding the waves and the waves are subject to causes and conditions around it. So our, our practice, our, our composure, our, our roots of practice, our deep roots in practice and our faith in practice are the foundation, they're, they're, the, they're the, the ocean that's the ocean of which the mind waves or the waves are phenomena 
but they're part of the ocean. They're not separate from the ocean. They're not coming from outside. They're part of it. And that's what we're thinking about, this, this big mind. Everything is there. So whatever's happening, it's part of this big mind. So it's not something we have to run away from, but it's also not something to get caught in, and that'll be, that'll be the talk later. So Dogen calls um, think not thinking the art of Zazen. When there is no gap, there is no discrimination. When our thoughts wander as they will because they are always hungry, we bring them home where they belong and include them in some satisfying work. When our thoughts sit Zazen, they become enlightened. So when you sit, think the thought of Zazen. In his fascicle, in Dogen's fascicle called Learning Through Body and Mind, he says, the stage of non-thinking is beyond egocentric cognition. If you reach the state of not thinking, you will realize, of non-thinking, you will realize the true luminous nature of self. Non-thinking must become the eye through which you view phenomenon. The activity of every Buddha is based on non-thinking. So what do you think about this? Non-thinking is beyond the egocentric. Yeah. Can you read like the first two paragraphs again a little slower? Of what you just read, this, the passage you just read. What I just read? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, Dogen calls this think not thinking the art of Zazen. When there is no gap, there is no discrimination. I think what that means is if you are if you are perceiving something, usually we have a gap between the perception and then our mind registering and making up something and uh, related to that. So if we just if we are uh, if there's no discrimination, which means we're not judging, we're not naming, we're not. Um, we're not thinking about something good or bad. There's no dualism and no discrimination. When our thoughts wander, as they will, because they're always hungry. <laughs> That's an interesting thought, uh, phrase. We bring them home where they belong and include them in some satisfying work. When our thoughts sit zazen, they become enlightened. So when you sit, think the, think the thought of Zazen. I think that's kind of what, what Raga was reading. Was, that's what Sojin was trying to say to you. Think the thought of Zazen. So in his fascicle called Learning Through Body and Mind, Dogen says, the stage of non-thinking is beyond egocentric cognition. And that, that's interesting because, again, what we usually do um, when we perceive through our consciousness is that um, we first ping our alaya, our storehouse consciousness, and have our condition and our conditioning and our naming happens. But then we go to manas, our ego consciousness, and we supply the I. So that's the, that's the way consciousness that's not enlightened works. 
we supply an I. So that's called, then that's called ego, ego consciousness. If we leave out the I and we leave out the, the story, then we just have consciousness. We just have a perception or a thought. It's just there to be with without a story. If you reach the state of non-thinking, you will realize the true luminous nature of the mind. Non-thinking must be become the eye through which you view phenomena. So he's saying we have to basically transform our consciousness to be non-egoistic. We have to transform our consciousness to just abide with a perception without doing anything with it, just watching, just being. So Suzuki Roshi goes on, the activity of big mind is to amplify itself through various experiences. In one sense, our experiences coming one by one are always fresh and new. But in another sense, they are nothing but a continuous and repeated unfolding of the one big mind. For instance, if you have something good for breakfast, you will say, this is good. Good is supplied as something experienced some long time ago. Even though you may not remember when, with big mind we accept each of our experiences as if recognizing the face we see in the mirror. Oops. For us, there is no fear. Is that right? Okay. For us, there is no fear of losing the mind. There is nowhere to come or go. There is no fear of death, no suffering from old age or sickness. Because we enjoy all aspects of life as the unfolding of big mind, we do not care for any excessive joy. So we have unperturbable, imperturbable composure. And it is with this imperturbable composure a big mind that we practice Sazen. Someone is raising a hand from the floor. What is excessive joy? I think, um, I think that that's, I, I was actually thinking about that. Um, I think jo excessive joy is, has, has a, a, a gaining, a clinging, aspect of it. You know, I really, this is so great, I want it, as opposed to just satisfaction or some experience of, of, of pleasure or ease. But, but uh, excessive joy is when we add something to the joy. Try to hold on to it. Try to hold on to it, yeah, or, you know, and, and it become, then it becomes dualistic. Any other questions or around that? Um, back to Hang Shur, whose poem we read. Um, uh, Suzuki Roshi, uh, discussion of mind, points to Hang Shur's uh, description of, of Zazen as just shikantaza, just sitting. 
just sitting. He uses the term, Hangshu uses the term for Zazen as silent illumination, which involves withdrawal from the exclusive focus, focus on particular sensory or mental object to allow intense apprehension of all phenomena as a unified, totally radical, refined non-dualism that does not grasp at any of the highly subtle distinctions to which our familiar mental workings are prone and which estranges us from our experience. This objectless meditation has no specific goals. The purpose of this spiritual practice of universally awakened heart and mind cannot be set apart from our own inherent being in our immediate moment-to-moment -moment awareness practice. Hongster emphasizes that the entire practice rests on faith verified by experience. The practitioner's exertion and dedication are devoted to manifesting this truth. So he points to Zazen as an act of faith. All the effort that we make is an act of faith. So what is that? What is that faith? Anybody have any? What 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 is it that what what is it that what, why do we keep up? Why do we do it? Right? Why do we come back? morning after morning or day after day or why we sit long sashins. So he's saying that, that it takes this that, that this practice of silent illumination and he says verified by experience. I remember having a conversation with Sojin about um, you know, trust, but verify. <laughs> and because it's kind of, well, why do we believe it? And, and why is it that we, that we, that we think that this is, this is some beneficial thing? Why would we, why would we spend all our time in this? And I think that um, the verified by experience to me is kind of critical. In other words, when one can sit in silent illumination, and when one can experience the dropping away of body and mind, and when one notices a more spacious consciousness, that, that verifies that, that this is something that we might want to keep doing. Some of us, for some of us, it's really hard to keep, to, to, um, to do this because it's painful or uncomfortable. But, Sorry, Jeremiah has a question. Yeah. Well, I, I was just going to offer an answer to a question, and I, I, I thought the question was, um, what does it mean uh, to have faith? Yes. Uh, yeah, and I think it means that you, um, you have faith in the effects of the discipline of sitting. Mm-hmm. Right, like, like, and I think that's what it means by verify by, by your own experience. Mm -hmm. What you have faith in is, is, is your experience of, of doing it because, because it works for you. Yeah, and it doesn't, 
it's yeah that that you you have that you you actually feel the expansion of your mind you actually feel the peace and the settling if you if you can keep at it and generally often we have faith in a teacher sometimes we have faith in a teacher and that that teacher you know invites us to sit invites us to start practicing so then that gets us here that may be what and the word faith in general is is a difficult word because way it's commonly used is you have faith in things that you don't need to verify by experience. I mean, that, that's what faith usually means, right? It, it, it's, you blind, usually have faith blind in Blind faith. Blind faith. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is informed faith. That's what he's suggesting. And a Sojin, and I remember talking to Sojin about some, some other things like that, like how do you, how do you trust your intuition or your perception? How do you trust you know, how do you trust that? Um, how do you know? How do you know that this perception is um, uh, is is actually uh, some something valid or something useful? And and he said, um, by experience, you see what happens. So you you sit there, you try you try to think about the take the instructions from. Suzuki Roshi or or uh, Hung Shur, you sit, you drop away body and mind, and then that's it. <laughs> and that is turns that's some that's something that's beneficial over time, and um, and you see the effects of the benefit of the benefits in your practice. Yeah. Understanding you're saying is using an encounter with a teacher or a, or a, or another practitioner as a as a way to validate yeah, uh, some of that think, experience. I can think I'm I'm really hey man I'm doing the practice you know I've got this really 
great posture, you know, um, um, but actually I'm not aware that I'm continually getting caught because I'm just sitting here in the stew of my idea of what I think. Well, I think that's why we, that's why we have discussions with people and that's why we, we, we have a lot of dialogue about this. So you're saying it's not just the, the face to face, say with a teacher or, you know, on a practice discussion, but it's also this process right now of, of the dialogue mm -hmm. of, you know, it's like the elephant in the room. What is it? Yeah. Very. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing I was thinking of with faith is that you can have like a kencho or a big experience, and then you go back to your cushion and you don't have it anymore. And you don't, you know, you're you're kind of back in the mundane and ordinary. And that's where I think faith can come in as well to just mm -hmm. stay stay with the practice to the end. And ultimately, we we have we have moments. We don't have it, but we're not talking about something something that happens, and and um, and we're uh, having some permanent state of peace and tranquility. Obviously, it's constantly changing. So we have an experience, um, but. But we also, I think, um, as we start to uh, be with the experience, it starts to have effects in our life. It's not something that's just something we experience in Zazen. We find more ease in our practice. Jim, Jim, you didn't ask a question yet, right? Oh, as you said that I thought perhaps maybe that is what the faith is. Because we we can't predict what that what that learning is, what mm -hmm. that insight is, right? So we can grasp around all we want, but we don't know what the insight is going to be. And then we, when we, if we do have a moment of insight, it's a gift, and then we have faith when we come back to practice that we're lucky we'll see another gift. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're it, it's 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 great when it happens, and of course we get these little moments. Uh, little Kensho moments or something where we feel we have some awakening or uh, some some peaceful abiding. Um, but the minute we grab onto it and start telling anybody about it, it's gone. So, but what we what we have that experience multiple times, we start okay. We start getting getting some feeling of the practice. We get our feet wet into the practice. We we we. Uh, we, have, we understand that if we keep coming back, or Sojin would say, if you keep coming back, you're at risk of enlightenment. <laughs> you can't count on it, but you can you can you can put yourself in in the state where there's a more more of a likelihood that you can experience the silent illumination of big mind. Dogen's in in his third fascicle in the uh, in the treasure uh, in the treasury of the Dharma Eye, which is called Zazenshin, or actual actualizing the fundamental point. 
says that the water in which a fish swims is not the water in the external world. The water has no boundary, no bank or shore. A fish is swimming, but we cannot measure how far it is moving. Because there is no bank from which we survey, because it was, there was no bank from which we survey, the sky in which the bird is flying is not the space suspended in the firmament. The sky is never concealed or revealed, and it is never outside or inside. When the bird is flying through the sky, it is flying the entire universe. When the bird is flying, the entire sky is also flying. In Zazen, even though we are simply sitting immovably, right here, right now, we're flying or swimming together with the entire universe. In this flying and swimming, there's no goal, no purpose, no task. Therefore, the crane's mind is at ease. The fish swims slowly in a relaxed manner. So this is very poetic. And I think I like, Dogen is very poetic and so is Hong Shore because Poetry is a way for us to get away from the didactic, from the academic, from the, from the very much uh, 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 conceptual framework of thinking. So we, when we say these things, it's very poetic, but it also pushes us beyond the usual way that we tend to receive information. So we're able to fly with a bird and fish and swim with the fish. And kind of these imagery actually takes us to another place. At least it does me. I'm not sure about other people. But that 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 feeling of of um, swimming in the water or flying in the air, that feeling of that is is this feeling of big mind, where everything is flowing and inter and interacting in the dynamic working of the universe. It's all in motion. And it doesn't stop, and it's not something that we can grab a hold of. So, and he's, he's really saying we just need to allow everything to be just the way it is. Thoughts come, thoughts go. You simply watch them, you keep them in your awareness on them. It takes a lot of energy and persistence to sit shikantaza, to not get caught up in daydreaming. But little by little, thoughts begin to slow down. And finally, they cease to arise. When the thought disappears, the thinker disappears. This is the samadhi of falling away of body and mind. The first indication, um, well, I think I'll leave it there. But there really, and there really is this sensation, it's a physical sensation of dropping body and mind in, in Zazen. And Dogen says, when you sit for a while without moving the body, it stops receiving information about its edges through the senses, such as the friction of your clothing or an itch on your leg. So although you know the body is there, you don't feel it. Some people get frightened at this point and involve and involuntary body twitches or um, things may occur, but then slowly move to the place again and gradually turn. 
and, they, and, and gradually learn to trust the experience and go a little bit further each time. So it's, it's again, it's, it's experiencing, having an experience, going back, repeating the experience, and each time you, you have a little bit more confidence in, uh, in the practice. So I wanted to go to um, just do we want to get up and yeah. yeah. So is there anything else about mind waves? We're going to go on to mind weeds. Could you say again, Jerry, what the source was uh, for those last bits of Dogen um, about the, the um, body not becoming conscious of its edges? Um, yeah. Well, there are two. Uh, that one was body. Oh, where am I? Oh, yeah. Um, well, there were two. Uh, actually, in the fundamental point, and this was um, the other one, body and. What did I do? Miss, miss my page. No, Zazen Chin was part of it, but then there was another one. Zazen Chin was the passage about the water and the star and uh, the birds and stuff like that? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Zazen Chin were actually actualizing the fundamental point, yeah. Okay. So, mind weeds, they don't sound as good as mind waves. <laughs> you should rather, Suzuki Roshi says, you should rather be grateful for the weeds you have in your mind because eventually they'll enrich your practice. When the alarm rings early in the morning and when you get up, 
I think you do not feel so good. It is not easy to go and sit. And even after you arrive in the Zendo and begin Zazen, you have to encourage yourself to sit well. These are just the waves of your mind. In pure Zazen, there should not be any waves in your mind. When you are sitting, these waves will become smaller and smaller and your effort will change into some subtle feeling. We say, pulling out the weeds, we give nourishment to the plant. We pull the weeds and bury them near the plant to give it nourishment. So even though you have some difficulty in your practice, even though you have some waves while you're sitting, those waves themselves will help you. So you should not be bothered by your mind. You should, not, you should rather be grateful for the weeds because eventually they will enrich your mind, change into mental nourishment. Your practice will make remarkable progress. You will feel the progress. You will feel how they change into self-nourishment. Of course, it is not so difficult to give some philosophical or psychological interpretation of our practice. But that's not enough. We must have the actual experience of how our weeds change into nourishment. So I was, again, respond, I was um, reminded when he talked about weeds and the, and the fact that the weeds um, can change into nourishment of Suzuki Roshi's chapter from Not Always So uh, called Just Enough Problems. In that, in, that, um, in that chapter, he says, you may have started this session because you had many problems. You thought that if you sat here for seven days, the problems would disappear and be solved. But this is just postponing the inevitable reappearance of these problems, rather than learning to be peacefully with them. Buddha will not give you more problems than you can solve, or more problems than you need. If you have nothing to cope with, your life feels empty. So I think you should trust Buddha. Later he says, when you trust in Buddha, you sit with your problems. At the same time, you should be ready to refuse a problem if it's too much. If you practice with being with weeds or problems, I put, I put weeds, I added weeds, weeds or problems, you will find that these are valuable treasures that are indispensable for you. Later, he says, if you're patient enough, if you're strong enough to accept your problems, then you can sit calmly and, and peacefully, trusting Buddha and trusting your own being. So he's saying these thoughts, even the thoughts that we perceive as unpleasant, that that we, we should not have an aversion to them. We're not, we're not cutting them off. We are not, we're not, we're curious about them. They have something to teach us. So when I, when I have something, when I, when I feel a reactivity, a thought or a reactivity from outside, that's, 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 uh, um, that's either pulling me towards greed or hate or anger or whatever, wherever I'm unwholesome, um, uh, unwholesome uh, action or thought. I, I, I be, I'm curious about it. I'm curious about it. I want it to be something that I know. I want to know about this. I don't want to shun it. So that's, 
so that so how so the challenge is then how do I how do I how do I work with the weeds? How do I work with these unwholesome feelings or these these um, uh, what what seem like poison um, poisonous feelings? How do I use them to to feed my practice rather than to shun them? Which is a little bit different from and it adds a whole other dimension to to this thing about just being with it. He's suggesting that um, we are being with it, but there are there are uh, these phenomena that we will experience that are not something that we uh, want to hold on to, but we don't want to give them away either because they might be valuable if we if we actually understand them. So I, Hang Shur interestingly speaks to this. He says, if if you think that you have that you have cut off illusory mind instead of simply clarifying how illusionary mind melts. You, the, the illusionary mind acts, behaves. Illusionary mind will come up again, as though you had cut the stem of a blade of grass or a weed and left the root alive. So I think it's interesting to think about these weeds having roots. You know that that we know bury under the ground and you pull it up superficially if you don't if you don't get to the quote unquote root of it and understand the root of it then it's likely to come up again and again so by finding a way in zazen to be with the weeds and to watch the weeds to to, to actually experience experience the weeds um then then we they they can they can hit us again. We need to learn the conditioning that brought us the weeds. The, where did this come from? We don't ask that question in a cons, um, conceptual way, but we watch. We watch if we're not fighting against it. If we just are being with it in our in our calm, grounded place, being it that way, we can get to know it and 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 learn something. We get wisdom from knowing how to be with it, and um, not and not have that reactivity, which which forces us into unwholesome patterns. Suzuki Roshi says, strictly speaking, any effort we make is not good for our practice because it creates waves in our mind. It is impossible, however, to attain absolute calmness of our mind without any effort. We, we, we must make some effort, but we, not, but we must forget ourselves in the effort we make. In this realm, there is no subjectivity or objectivity. Our mind is just calm without any awareness. In this unawareness, every effort, every idea and thought will vanish. So it is necessary for us to encourage ourselves to make an effort up to the last moment. When all effort disappears, you should keep your mind on your breathing until you're not there. We should try to continue our effort forever, but we should not expect to reach some stage that we will forget about. And we forget all about it. We should just try to keep our mind on our breathing. That is our actual practice. That effort will be refined more and more when you're sitting. At first, we make it's quite rough and impure. 
but by the power of practice, the effort will become pure. When your effort becomes pure, your body and mind become pure. This is the way we practice Sazen. So, what about, what about the mind weeds? What does that, what does that feel like? Does that sound familiar? I see Susan, Sue? No, thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, great. Um, I, I really appreciate this um, reading on mind weeds. It's something that I saw as a, a, a gift, actually. Um, I don't know how to have calm mind if I don't have calm mind, but I can. It's a Dharma gate to pay attention to the weeds, it sounds like, when they arise, mm -hmm. gently, perhaps. But, um, you know, when you said you we, we need to dig down to the root, the source of those weeds, you know, I'm a little concerned that that, that could really take over the whole zazen, but maybe that's what's needed. Uh, actually, I didn't say dig down. I, I think I said, um, you know, you have to remove the roots, meaning that the, the, it's not digging, it's realization. Um, in other words, you're, you're being, you're watching the conditioned mind, which, for example, I don't know, could be somebody says something or you hear a noise um, or you're hot or whatever it is, whatever, you know, whatever um, stimulation is happening when you're trying, this is during sitting. Um, so you feel a reactivity and um, that, that, that reactivity is attached to something. It didn't just, what, 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 what he, Suzuki Roshi said in the first part, uh, of talking about mind waves is the response that we have is our mind responding. So something, there is a phenomenon that we're experiencing, a dharma, small dharma out there, but then our mind creates that. Our mind makes it ours that's what we see. We don't really see. We don't really aren't able to really see uh, things clearly because our mind takes them in and and has a conditioned response. Has some response based on something. Old. Like you said, if you don't like the breakfast, it's not this breakfast. It's a breakfast from a long time ago. You know, I don't like when, when if I don't like something, I have a bad response to it. Um, when I understand that origin, when I am with it, so that I, I've noticed that this particular response comes up in certain kinds of situations over and over again. These, these upsetting feelings, these, these mind weeds come up. And then when I just let them come up and sit and be and look and see coming and going and have it in a bigger field, I get a sense of where this, where the origin is, 
so I can transform my consciousness and my thinking and my way of being with this without by eliminating those that 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 old habit energy that old conditioning so I can see it anew I can see the phenomenon anew without the same old response that I always had to it yeah what you just said reminded uh, the way Thich Nhat Hanh speaks of mindfulness as um, a sponsor, uh, so which reminds me of um, you know alcoholics, narcotics, anonymous, Al-Anon, all that. Where you have a sponsor, and the sponsor witnesses you, but also is holding the space uh, supportively, perhaps challenging you to to take a look from another angle, to be accountable, and, and so on. Um, and at the same time, there's a gentleness. So that mindfulness serves that purpose mm -hmm. in being with whatever it is, the difficult thought, emotion, reactivity. Um, so my question is, and then how does that connect, so to speak, mindful of the weeds, to something that can seem rather mysterious unfolds where subject and object uh, interpenetrate and there's just being or interbeing as Thich Nhat Hanh talks about. How, how do you actually practice with that? You know, so there I am, um, uh, uh, despair is arising. I feel this implosion in my chest. Mindfulness comes in, come back to the breath, heavy, heavy, hunched, posture, straighten. You know, all this kind of dance is happening. And then something mysterious happens. And none of that is really there. There's just right. breathing, right? Mm -hmm. But that's the process. I mean, that's what it is mysterious. So we can't, you know, trying to talk about when we talk about things dropping away. Um, there's no, there's no formula, right? There's no, uh, there's, there's no, uh, do this and that will happen. There's just experience, and it, and it doesn't. And it happens when we can hold things in a, in a in a broader field. So we hold we hold the feelings, we hold the hurt, we hold it all. And at some point, that wide field allows us to allows something to happen where relaxation can happen. And those feelings, those those um, those feelings that are feelings and thoughts that that we call the unwholesome or 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 weed thoughts, just dissolve in the big mind, in the field of big mind, or in the big ocean of awareness. They're just there. Recognize they're just there. Yeah, Ron. Um, I'm curious about what other people's experience is in letting go of thoughts. 
Yes. Uh, my experience is I get to get tired of them. <laughs> that, that's that's that really works. I'm just tired mm -hmm. of them. Yeah. But I'm wondering what other people experience. Yeah. What did he say in the beginning? He he said, uh, "How do you? How do they? How do you let? How do you? How do?" He was suggesting opening it up to people, uh, to people here about how to how do they experience um, these these th recurring thoughts and letting go. And letting go. What is that? What is that like? Yeah. Appreciating them. Gary has his hand up. Um, Gimbo said appreciating them. Gary? Yeah, I was going to say that <coughs> sometimes I can't let go of thoughts. So I um, redirect myself to the outside world of objects and look and and bring myself into the present by naming objects and gradually things change so it's a kind of a going into the present trying to so being awareness of being being aware of everything in the moment yeah, not not even not even everything, just anything but <laughs> expanding your awareness to something beyond that thought. Exactly. Yes. So you can do that in lots of different ways. Yes. Right. Um, it's like it's like when we when we do body scan, and we have a body scan is a technique for relieving pain. Right. And if you begin to expand your body awareness to beyond that particular point of pain and to a very careful uh, awareness of, of detailed awareness of your whole body, then that pain has has less um, charge and you don't feel it as much. It, it, the pain, the pain actually can fade in your in your consciousness, but it's a, your mind is the one who's your mind is, the pain is still the pain, but your mind is holding the pain differently. So it has a larger field. I mean, for me, for me personally, sometimes I notice that with any kind of physical discomfort during Zazen. You can, when you're holding that, pain and you're worried about your knee and you're starting to think, is there something wrong with my knee? You know, should I not do that? Maybe I should move. Oh, I don't think I should move. That kind of thing. If you go through that versus you go back to your breathing, you go back to your posture. And in doing that, there's a relaxation that happens and the pain eases. You can really feel the pain ease and sometimes it completely disappears. Your awareness of the pain. There may be there may be some stretched muscles happening, but the effect on your consciousness and what what your mind is doing with them um, is not there. It loses its charge because you've expanded your awareness to your whole body, and you do that with your mind in terms of expanding to the whole room. 
you know, we do, we've done that here a number of times. We've, we've started, we would, um, we would start sitting, be aware of our body, and then be aware of the people next to us, and then being aware of the whole room. And when you can actually do that kind of in a stepwise fashion sometimes, and that actually helps you in getting the bigger, a bigger field. Yeah, um, uh, Ron or Jake? Ron, do you want to say something else? Yeah, um, we can also hurt ourselves by staying too long in one position. That's I've true. done that. I've done that. <laughs> I, I made up my mind during a class to sit for the whole class in full lotus. And I, my knee was sore for weeks after that. Well, that's that. Sojin used to talk about that. And he used to say, you do have to use some discernment. You know, in other words, there's pain and there's pain. Right. So it doesn't mean letting any pain be, but it. But my experience, when I l allow myself to have a broader field and relax, the pain that's not serious, that muscle ache, becomes less. If you have some pain where you're actually stretching, you know, you're 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 twisting yourself or doing harm to yourself, that isn't worth sitting through. Yeah, I agree with you, J Jake. Um. Just going to say that in my earlier years of Sazen, I had this uh, notion that there were the okay thoughts to come and let them go. And there were certain thoughts that were forbidden, you know, antar di, go away. Um, probably from my Catholic upbringing, some of that, <laughs> the impure thoughts kind of thing. But anyway, what really helped me was at some point, and it was gradual, I, I welc everything became welcomed, so to speak. And so there were, there, there was no, oh, this is good, this is bad. It's just, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to come thoughts. And when you come, fine. But I'm not going to uh, serve you tea, you know. Right. Right. Yeah like clouds. And that was really huge because, um, you know, I, I would not uh, get stuck on things so much because of that. I said, mm -hmm. okay, you can come, but I'm not going to pay too much attention to you. <laughs> so. Ron, were you saying, wanting to say something else? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Jake, what led you to, what led you to feel that way? Uh, well, actually, it was when I was Shusou, Um I was wrestling with um, this whole thing about Zazen. And um, I don't know if it was my koan or what, but um, it was in that period that got me to relax with, uh, with the weeds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's any one thing, though. Well, in a way, you're saying that just what Suzuki Roshi says about problems, if you, if you recognize that the weeds are actually enriching your, could be actually enriching your practice by giving you more food to practice with, then they're, they're feeding your practice. They're not taking away from your practice. They're not distracting you from your practice if you hold them, if you can hold them. Right. It wasn't an adversarial thing. It was like, yes. 
You're not you're not fighting it. You're not trying to get rid of it. Everything's included. Yeah. Well, you're not doing not thinking. You're doing non-thinking. Right. That's that's what you're describing is non-thinking. Being able to have a phenomena, an experience, an awareness, a picture, whatever it is, it's coming. It's just there. No, no opinions attached. That's the, that's the non-thinking. So I wanted to just briefly um, address the idea of, of what he's, what, what uh, um, Suzuki Roshi talking about the effort. Jerry. Yeah. One other thing I, I wanted to mention is um, um, the, the idea of the, that you don't let go of the thought, that the thought lets go of you at some point. And that's a way of, it's an action orient, you know, mm -hmm. when, when you try and apply action to mental stuff, it's not the same as like, you know, grab the salt shaker. Like you, you can't just grab the thought or you can't just push it away. I mean, it's kind of, well, you can, but then that's kind of uh, um, effortful. And the idea that a thought, that a thought is maybe, maybe let's go, you, the thought let's go of you is less effortful. Yeah, I'm not sure about thoughts letting go of you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's, I think it's all in your mind. It's all in your mind. Right, right. So there's nothing. I mean, Suzuki Roshi is very clear in this in both of these um, these sections that everything is mind. Everything is the mental creation. What we're perceiving is our is our mental creation, not what's out there. So really, it is, it is, uh, if, and if we have these unwholesome or unpleasant or weeds come up, we can let go of them. But maybe it's a mutual, it's a feeling of a mutual. In other words, they, it feels like things are fading when the, when the um, uh, emotion and the uh, energy, when we let go of that emotion and energy, it feels like, when they fade, it feels like they're letting go, but actually it's us who are letting go. Yeah, I'm not saying that's the that's exactly what happens. I'm I'm more or less saying um your attitude towards thinking. Yeah, it's an attitude that changes. It's yeah. attitudes toward it, not the thing. The thing is there. We, we're in the driver's seat, so to speak. So I wanted to just um, just address just for a minute, uh, because one of the, you know, as, I, as we talked about faith and we talked about Suzuki Roshi talking about how we have to make an effort, um, that we have to make an effort to practice, that we have to make an effort to when we sit, to 
to, to hold things or to create a large field so that we can be more peaceful. But he, then he says, but yet, and that seems like it's letting go and it's expanding mind. But somehow then he's talking about effort, making an effort. So what is that effort? And uh, Suzuki Roshi talks about, um, you know, talks about it that we should, the effort should be refined more and more while you're sitting. At first, the effort you make is quite rough and impure. But by the power of practice, the effort will become purer. What does that mean, the effort will become purer? It goes, it goes towards accepting what, what is rather than having an idea of this is what I'm going to get. Mm -hmm. So non-gaining idea, right? So if it's, if, when we talk about purity in Zen, it's free from the three poisons, greed, hate, and delusion. So when he says um, that the effort is pure, we don't have any greed related to it. Right? We don't have any gaining idea. Um, we're just making an effort for effort's sake, out of faith in our practice. We're not trying to get enlightened. We're not trying to make it go away. We're just trying to practice and, and breathe and sit and be aware. Is that like when Sojin said one time during Kin Han, um, I remember exactly, uh, or we keep moving, but we're not going anywhere. Yes, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. He says, and he said, when your effort becomes pure, your body and mind become pure. This is the way we practice then. Once you understand our innate power to purify ourselves and our surroundings, you can act properly and you will learn from those around you and you will become friendly with others. This is the merit of Zen practice. But the ways in, of Zen practice is just to be concentrated on your breathing with right posture and with great pure effort. And, and, um, and I think uh, in, in, in the, I'm not gonna talk about this with any, for any great length, but, um, but what he says in the, in the chapter on right effort, which, which reinforces this. If your practice is good, you may become proud of it. What you do is good, but something more is added to it. Pride is extra. Right effort is to get rid of something extra. The most important point in our practice is to have right or perfect effort. Right effort directed in the right direction is necessary. Your effort is headed in the wrong direction. If your effort is, it, effort is he headed in the wrong, wrong direction, especially if you're not aware of this, it is diluted effort. Our effort in our practice should be directed from achievement to non-achievement. That's interesting. The effort to non-achieve. It's kind of, which is what, which is what we're doing, right? Can you give us an example from your own experience? Well, I think, I mean, I think what this, if you have some idea of how you want your Zazen to be, 
if you have some idea of this is good zazen or this is not good zazen, then um, then you're you're constantly judging yourself. So the effort has to be I'm just doing it with no with no thought of getting anywhere. It might happen, accidents happen, and um, and as as I said, Sojin said, enlightenment is an is an is is an accident. The moments of peace don't come because you try hard. They come because you let go. So you're making an effort to be letting go. <laughs> the effort is kind of counterintuitive, right? You're not making an effort. You're just making an effort to consit, cons just to consit continuously, go back, back to breath and back to posture, just holding and, and being with the waves is all you do without, and that's all. And when you do that, that's practice and enlightenment are, 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 are experienced together. Being so numberless, I have to awaken with them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I have to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I have to enter them. Bliss ways unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to awaken with them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Bliss way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to awaken with them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I allow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I allow to enter them. But 